You are now listening to the December 25th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have forgiveness, the sermon, and the God of Abraham. First, let's begin with forgiveness. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries listeners. I am your host, Joseph McDonald, and today we are bringing the last session of a program that is focused on a special privilege and sometimes a difficult command that we have as Christians. This is forgiveness. I want to give a summary of everything that we have covered in regards to forgiveness. First, let's review the biblical definition of forgiveness. When sin happens, like someone sins against me or I sin against someone, the one that commits the sin is obligated to offer a restitution to the victim. At the same time, the victim has the right to receive the restitution from the sinner. Once that happens, we say that justice is done and the issue is resolved. After all, the Bible says in Leviticus 24.20, Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a person, so shall it be inflicted on him. However, what about forgiveness? After Christ came and died in our place, the concept of forgiveness took center stage. It presents to us a new way to deal with sins. Forgiveness is about how we put down our right to claim a restitution and release the person that committed the sin from that obligation. The starting point for this new way is to recognize that we all have sinned against God. That means we are obligated to pay for our sins. However, Are we able to pay for our sins? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So, we would then naturally be obligated to pay for our sins with death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death as well. That is because God has the right to collect the wages of our sin. However, Here is where the mystery takes place and gives us a new way to look at the wages of sins. God did not claim his right to collect, and in fact, he willingly relinquished his right to collect on our sin. Instead, God had his own son, Jesus Christ, pay for our sins. In that regard, God transferred our obligation to his son, Jesus Christ and asked Jesus to pay the restitution. Even though Jesus did not commit any sins, he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, justice was delivered. As our victor, he paid for our sins and offered a way to forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Remember our episode that involved a slave that owed an astronomical amount of money to his master? We are that slave. We are the people that have been forgiven for more than 10,000 talents worth of debt from God. We were supposed to pay off our debt with our death. 
we would not be able to save our lives even if we paid the price with all the money in the world. Therefore, the value of forgiveness we have received is immeasurable. It cannot be captured in a worldly sense. After all, how do you place a worth on the life of Jesus Christ, God's only Son? Those that come to know this wonderful grace of forgiveness should be able to forgive others that have sinned against them. God has told us that it is right for us to have mercy on others that have sinned against us. In the same way, God has had mercy on us and has forgiven our sins. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, when we recite these words, we are praying to God, please treat us the same way we treat the person who sinned against us. If we don't forgive others after we have been forgiven, God might allow us difficult times and sufferings to remind us the true meaning of forgiveness. We learn this lesson from the parable of the slave we discussed earlier, the one that owed 10,000 talents to his master in Matthew chapter 18. In that parable, when the slave was not willing to forgive another slave for the offense that involved much less than the one he was forgiven for, the master put the slave under a hardship. We have to clearly remember that God allows us difficult times and sufferings, not because he wants to punish us, but because God wants us to know how to forgive others. We also studied Joseph in Genesis. Even though his brothers sold him off as a slave, Joseph did not seek justice for their offense. He said he was merely fulfilling God's plan. Suppose Joseph acted otherwise and did not forgive his brothers. His brothers would then perish and Jacob's 12 sons would disappear from history. That means there would have been no 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob's 12 sons. There would have been an entirely different story in the Old Testament leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ. Do you have someone in your heart today whom you can't forgive? Maybe that person hurt you verbally or physically. Maybe that person did not pay you back the money he owed you. Maybe that person caused you a great emotional suffering. Maybe that person was a close family member, a church member, a small group member, or your coworker. Whoever that person is, whatever the suffering is, is that suffering bigger than the suffering of Jesus Christ who carried the cross for you? Are your wounds bigger than the wounds of the crucified Christ who was forsaken, mocked, spit on, and flogged by the people whom he created? Christ did not demand a restitution, but instead he forgave them. He simply entrusted the judgment to God. As a consequence, you and I have been forgiven and have received a new life, an eternal life. God's will has been done. If so, what prevents you from forgiving the person in your heart whom you have not been able to forgive? Could you do that today? Because you have not forgiven that person, God's plan for your life is still on hold. It is waiting to be fulfilled. 
Don't let your past hold you from moving forward. Give all of your past burdens to God and let the righteous God deal with it righteously. Entrust it to God and ask for righteous judgment as Jesus did and free yourself from the past so that you can focus on what lies ahead. Would you close your eyes now? Yes, now we are going to pray together. Let us pray to God. I will forgive that person. Please let me be free from that burden. Dear Heavenly Father, until now, I have not been able to forgive that person for what happened. I had anger in my heart. Now I am surrendering that incident to you, Lord, and I am forgiving that person. I repent for not having forgiven that person until now, for trying to solve this matter on my own, for seeking restitution. Please forgive me, Lord. Now I am entrusting this matter to you, Lord, who judges righteously, and I will obey your words. Please heal me. Please let me be free. I need your spirit in my heart, for I am weak and I am not able to do this alone. So I am asking for your help, Lord. I will no longer be burdened with the earthly entanglement. I will look only upon God's kingdom. I desire to live in prayer, seeking your will and your kingdom. Please help me, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who has saved me and forgiven me. Amen. Beloved heart and soul gospel listeners, we will conclude this program with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We are the people who have been forgiven. Now we are the people who are actively forgiving others. We eagerly want to witness the fulfillment of God's will among us. Thank you for having listened to this program, and God bless you. Goodbye.
had saved a wretch like me. I once, once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see the Coming up next is a sermon 
by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is From Surviving to Thriving. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. But I want to talk today about two passages, about thriving in God, based on two passages that are actually in our Bible reading this week, Genesis 5 and Matthew chapter 6. So you look at the start, if you have it open before you, the chapter actually begins by going back to the beginning of the Bible, with the creation of man and woman. You have basically a summary of the start of human life in the world. And then you get to verse 5, and listen to what it says. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Side note, that's a pretty long time. So anyway, the whole picture is 930 years, but what I want us to look at today is these last three words, and he died. He died. When you know the story of what happened before this, you would know this was not supposed to happen. God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, to live with him forever to never die. Death didn't enter the world until sin entered the world. Until Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve decided they knew better than God what was best for their lives. And they disobeyed God. And God had told them, if you eat from this tree, you will die. But I don't want you to die. I want you to live and enjoy me and one another and life in the world forever. Just trust me. But they decided to turn from him instead. They believed he wasn't, God was not trustworthy. So now in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, Adam dies. And then look at the refrain over and over again as you go through this chapter. Genesis chapter 5, verse 8, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Kenan 910 years, and he died. It's over and over and over again. Verse 17, and he died. Verse 20, and he died. Verse 27, and he died. All the way to this, all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. But right in the middle of this picture of all these people who died, it's a heavy chapter, one person sticks out, and we don't see this language with him. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So instead of just saying Enoch did this or that and then died, the Bible doesn't say that about Enoch. Instead, we have this language, Enoch walked with God. As you contemplate those words, I would just say those three words summarize my prayer for your life. And for my life, for that matter. I pray this for every one of you. I pray this continually for members of NBC, those who are listening in in different ways as guests. I pray this for all the people I'm closest to. This is what I pray for, that you would walk with God. The original language here indicates intimacy with God, that you would experience intimacy with God, closeness with God, deep relationship with God. Could it be that this is the key to thriving in this world? 
to thriving in a way that nothing in this world can take away from you. And just to think of it, that this is even possible for you and me as people who have sinned against God. If I could just jump ahead in this story for those who are new to church or need to be reminded of the whole point here, this is why Jesus came. This is what we just celebrated at Christmas. Because all of us, just like Adam and Eve, have sinned against God. You and I have all turned from God's ways to our own ways, not believed that God is trustworthy. And as a result of our sin, we are separated from God and we all deserve to die and experience God's eternal judgment for our sin. But God loves us so much that he came to us in the person of Jesus and Jesus never sinned. And then, even though he had no sin to die for, Jesus chose to die on a cross for the sins of anyone who would trust in him. Then he rose from the dead in victory over sin so that all who trust in him, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, by trusting in Jesus, you can be reconciled to relationship with God, to experience deep relationship with God. And do you realize what this means? Right where you are sitting, you can walk with God. You can experience deep relationship, closeness, intimacy with God. Like we're talking about God. Our Bible reading plan this week started with Genesis 1, the creation of the world. And I was reading it. I was just so overwhelmed. Like, just think about this. Let this soak in. We're talking about the God who spoke and light came out of darkness. The God who makes all of this a reality. This God has designed you for closeness with him. Are you getting this? As a child, as a teenager... You were made to walk with God. College student, young adult, you were made to walk with God. No matter who you are, no matter how young, old you are, you were made to walk with God. And Jesus came to make that possible for you right where you're sitting. So don't settle for anything less than intimacy, closeness with walking with God in your life. You were made for this. This is the key to thriving in this world. It makes sense. You walk with God, the one who created and made you and loves you and has designed you for life. Which leads us right over to Matthew chapter 6, also in our Bible reading this week, when Jesus says these words. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you hear what Jesus just said? It's interesting because Jesus is talking about religious people here, people who pray, participate in religious activity. And he's saying they are not walking with God. 
They're just going through religious motion. Don't miss this. It is entirely possible and unfortunately all too common for people to pray or go through religious motion and not actually walk with God. Do you think that's possible for you? For me? Absolutely it is. That's possible for any one of us, including me, to live a life of monotonous religious motion. And there's a lot going on here in these hypocrites, including their desire for others' praise. But I think in an even more basic way, the problem is they are more focused on praying than they are focused on God. They're just saying words. They're not walking with God. And Jesus says, this is not what you were created for. You were created for so much more than this. So go get in a room alone with God. Shut the door, just you and him. And pray to your Father, which is a side note, is a powerful picture of intimacy in and of itself, right? I think of my Youngest son being upset about something this last week, crawling into my lap, me holding him, cherishing every one of those seconds, him saying, I love you, Daddy. Like, this is the picture that God gives for our relationship with him. I'll take that every day with God. Which is the point when you realize that prayer is experiencing intimacy with, closeness with, deep relationship with God, then you don't have to pray anymore. You don't have to convince yourself to set aside time for this. You want to pray because you know that that time with God your Father leads to what? Reward. Reward. Jesus says reward. Like I'm emphasizing that word because I think so many Christians are missing out on it. Even prayer for you is something you survive through instead of thriving in. Prayer is like wrote words before a meal or a couple of phrases or thoughts in the morning or before you go to bed. When God is designed for you to experience intimacy with him through prayer. You're not designed to survive in prayer. You're designed to thrive through prayer. Right where you're sitting, you are designed by God for reward in relationship with him. And that reward is possible for you every day this week. Every day this month. Which is why Jesus says what he does next. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, we've talked about this before because what Jesus said right there can be really confusing, even demotivating when it comes to prayer, right? Now, Jesus said, don't, don't heap up empty phrases and many words thinking that's, that's what matters. For God your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And if you're really listening to this, you're thinking at this point, wait a minute. If God already knows what I need, then what's the point of praying? And the more you contemplate it, it makes sense because God is omniscient. He knows everything. So God's not up in heaven with a notepad writing down your requests thinking, Thank you for informing him. 
me of that. I was totally unaware. So you think, well, then what's the point of prayer? As soon as you ask that question, you are on the verge of an incredible breakthrough in prayer because you are realizing that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get something, but to know someone. The heart of prayer is what happens when you're in the room alone, just you and God the Father in heaven, and you realize you were made for intimacy with him. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something, but to know someone, love someone, enjoy someone. You wonder, well, what does that mean then for how I pray? And Jesus tells us, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You think about prayer as experiencing intimacy with God. Start with P, praising God, worshiping God for who he is. Jesus starts, our Father in heaven. So prayer starts with fixing your eyes, your heart, your attention, your affection on God. So how has God designed you to thrive in prayer? Go into a room, close the door, just you and God, and start here. Just start by praising him. Say, God, you are, and fill in the blank, you're holy, you're loving, you're just, you're merciful, you're kind. And then, and then move from that into just how he's shown these things in your life. Just start thanking him. God, thank you for my breath. Thank you for my heart beating right now. God, thank you for, you just start listing out all the different things that you have to thank God for. Just pour out gratitude before him. In the process, just express your desire to know him more. God, you are love. I want to know your love more. You are all-powerful. I want to know your power in even greater ways. You are all-wise. I want to know your wisdom in even greater ways. Maybe it's just sitting there praying. Maybe you get on your knees it's a biblical thing to do, and I would encourage to the extent with which you are physically able to do so, to make that a posture in your prayer on a somewhat regular basis, just to kneel before God in prayer. Maybe you, maybe you stand and lift up your hands. Maybe you sit in silence, just ponder the greatness of God. Maybe you sing, maybe you turn on one of these, you know, just a worship song. Like we were just saying, oh, praise the name, at least here at Tyson's location. Like, just turn on a song and just sing. The beauty is you're in a room alone with God. Only he hears you. And if you turn it up loud enough, you can't even hear yourself. It's beautiful. You actually think you sound like the people who are singing. But just worship God. Like, so you don't rush through this time. This is intimacy with God. So start here. Praise, worship God for who he is. Then are, repent, confess your sin to God, acknowledge your need for Jesus. This is part of how Jesus teaches us to pray here. 
And verse 12, forgive us our debts, our sins. God, I need your grace. So just pause when you come before God and ask, God, what in my life right now is not most honoring to you? Just ask him. He will show you. Just examine your heart and confess your sin. Things you are doing, things you are not doing. Oftentimes I'll write this out, just writing out a prayer of confession. You might be tempted to think, well, that's depressing, just dwelling on our sin. Specific ways we've disobeyed God. But this is not depressing when you realize that God, your Father, delights in forgiving you through what Jesus did on the cross for you in restoring you to intimacy with him. Repentance leads to restoration of this deep relationship. If one of my kids has done something directly disobedient to me, we're not able to experience closeness until they come to me and say, I'm sorry, Dad. And it's the same way I do things that are unhelpful for them. This picture with God is so great because our sins have been paid for. Repentance leads to deeper relationship with God. So absolutely we want to repent, turn from our sins in prayer. Then A, ask, petition for specific needs in your life and others' lives. So yes, prayer does involve asking for things. Summarize in Jesus' prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Obviously God knows what we need, but God has designed prayer to be the means by which we receive what we need. And others receive what they need as we pray for them. And what Jesus teaches us to pray here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and following is filled with things to ask God for in prayer. Just think, oh God, hallowed be your name. I'm asking for your name to be honored. And then just fill in the blank, in my life. God, glorify your name in my life. Glorify your name in this person's life. Glorify your name in the church. Just like your your will is done in heaven. God, may your will be done in my life. May your will be done in this situation. Help me to do this or that according to your will. Help this person to walk in obedience to your will. Give us this day our daily bread. God, I need this today. God, this person needs this from you today. This person needs that. I need that. Like to pray for ourselves, pray for people around us, pray for others. This is where I always just encourage people, think think along the lines of both spontaneous and planned asking. Spontaneous, just, just pause. Like what comes to your mind when it comes to things to pray for in your life, others' lives right now? Certainly things start coming to your mind, so just pray accordingly. And then, so that's more spontaneous, and then planned this is where I would encourage you. I would, one of the things I have is just a, a prayer list that I go through. Uh, specifically, I have mine's focus Monday through Friday, and I just have specific things I pray for for uh, my own life on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, different things, and then and for Heather and my kids on these days. I pray specific things for our church on specific days. Like, there's so much I want to pray for. It's like, okay, I don't think I can cover it all in one day. So let me just at least split it up into five. There's specific things I pray for our country for on certain days. Pray for the world for on certain days. Pray for uh, different people in my life beyond just family and those who are closest to me on certain days. So just to kind of plan out. I want to be intentional. I want to be intentional to intercede for you. Isn't one of the most loving things you can do? to be intentional about praying for others, even as you're praying for all kinds of things in your own life. 
So ask, petition in spontaneous ways and planned ways. All of this leads to praise, repent, ask, yield. Surrender your life to following Jesus wherever, however he leads you. Verse 13 in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, please lead my life, guide my life, direct my life, guard my life. In other words, God, help me to walk with you at every moment. This is where in my time alone with God in the morning, I try to pray through just as best as I know it, every detail of my day, through things that I know are on the schedule, things I don't know are coming, people I know I'm going to be around, people I don't know I'm going to be around, just praying for God to help me to walk with you and step with your spirit in everything I do today. So pray specifically for opportunities and boldness to share the gospel. And this, what I find is that concentrated time in prayer in the morning then fuels continual time with prayer all day long, just walking with God. One of the people who's had a, the biggest effects on my prayer life is a brother named Robert Anderson. I remember uh, being around him as an older brother, and when I first started spending around, time around him, prayer was just like continual conversation with God for Robert. And we'd be walking somewhere, and he'd all of a sudden I mean, just start saying, and Father, we pray for this. Father, we pray for that. We'd interact with somebody, then walk away, and he'd just be like, Father, we pray for that person. And it was just continual prayer, like he was walking with God. And I thought, I want that. I want that to be my life. And you know what happens when we pray like this? What happens is we start to thrive in intimacy with God. Like You can do this. God has designed you for this. God has designed you to walk with him in a way that nothing in this world can take away from you. Which leads right into the next thing Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is interesting. Fasting, and just to make sure we're all on the same page, fasting is the practice of periodically putting aside at least food as a physical expression of a spiritual reality. So fasting is saying that more important than anything else in this world, including the most basic daily need for food, more important than even food in this world is my relationship with God, my intimacy with God. I need and want closeness with God more than I need and want breakfast or lunch or dinner. That's what fasting is about. It's setting aside a meal or meals not to eat, a day or days not to eat. Instead of eating, we spend extra time in prayer and in God's word. In the process, we're saying what's most important in my life is not physical nourishment. What's most basic in my life is not physical nourishment. What's most important, what's most basic, as important as physical nourishment is, even more fundamental is thriving in spiritual nourishment. Now, I know some of you are familiar with fasting and you fast regularly. Others of you, again, maybe even professing Christians, may have never fasted or hardly ever fasted. But it's interesting. Did you notice Jesus' words here? He said, when... You fast, not if, but when. And that's important. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. And he didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. So this is one of the essential means God has designed for you to thrive in him. It's like 
water or sunlight for a tree. God has designed fasting for your intimacy with him. So here's an acrostic that we use to help us fast. The F stands for focus on God. So Jesus warns us in what we just read, not to do this so that others think we're spiritual. Jesus says that's hypocritical. Don't do it for others' applause. Which doesn't mean that no one else can ever know you're fasting. After all, there are times in the Bible when people fast together. And of course, they know they're fasting together. The point is, you don't do this with the focus on others and what they're going to think about you or in yourself. The whole point of fasting is to focus on God, intimacy with God, because God has designed fasting to actually be feasting on this reward that's found in time with him and his word. So we F, focus on God. Then A, abstain from food. Now you might think, well, I mean, does it have to be food? Can't you like fast from your phone or fast from technology or fast from this or that? And obviously, I don't know everyone's physical condition. If it is not possible for you to fast physically from food, then obviously then you would look for something else instead of food to fast from. But I think there's a reason why we see all throughout Scripture that fasting is setting aside food because food is uniquely a God-given addiction in our lives. Right? We are wired by God to want food from the time we get up in the morning until the time we go to bed at night in a way that's different from a phone or technology or this or that, TV, whatever it might be. So yes, while it could be helpful to spend extended periods of time away from some of these other things, fasting essentially is saying one of the most basic needs I have, if not the most basic need beyond air and water, is food, is nourishment. And I'm going to set that aside. So if you're physically unable to set aside a meal or meals, then think through what is the, what is the most, the closest parallel to that when it comes to fasting. So you set aside food during that time, and instead of eating, you substitute the time when you would be eating with prayer and meditation on God's Word. So you, you do this, and I, I would put this in concentrated and continual ways. So say you're fasting from breakfast, so instead of eating breakfast, you spend that time you would be eating breakfast in extra time in God's Word and in prayer. Similarly, at lunch. Similar to dinner, and then kind of continual throughout the day because as you fast during a day or particularly over multiple days, there's going to be points where you're like, I'm really hungry. And you start to have those cravings in you for food. Let that drive you to prayer. Say, God, I really would love a sandwich right now. But more important than a sandwich is my intimacy with you. I hunger for you more than I hunger for a sandwich. And let that lead to just, it, it, it creates this continual intimacy with God all day long or during whatever time that you're fasting. So you want to make sure to give yourself enough time fasting to where those cravings actually happen. And it's not just, oh, I forgot lunch, so we'll call that a fast. Like, it kind of misses the point. So substitute the time with prayer, meditation on God's word, and in the process, tea. Taste and see that God is good. It's a direct quote from Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. Listen to this, very end of Psalm 34. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, 
You will begin to thrive spiritually in all new ways when you realize that with God alone, you lack no good thing. So here's the deal. We have these two lemon trees over here. I want to start the process today of feeding one and neglecting the other. So I'm just going to take some water and I'm going to pour it on the tree all around it here. And in this picture, I want us to see what we are saying on this first day of the series. So what is the water that God has designed to pour into your life in order for you to thrive? And today we've just seen straight from his word, he's designed you to experience intimacy with him through prayer and fasting. So I want to invite us at the very beginning of this month to look at this month as 31 days. Obviously, we're a couple days already in, but a month of prayer and fasting. We're going to do this together. Specifically, I would encourage you to mark your calendar, January 15th. It's a Friday night. We're going to gather together in this room or online. Again, much like we do on Sundays, use the registration process. But we're going to come together from all our locations. Those who want to, are able to, in person, go ahead and register for that. Or you can gather online. And that day, that Friday, we're going to fast together. So I want to encourage as many as, physic- as possible who are physically able to set aside food on at least that day. And that night, we're going to come together and we're just going to pray. We're going to seek God together from 7 to 10. Something we have started doing, we postponed as a result of COVID, but want to start to pick back up. So that's January 15th. And then all throughout the month. So I'm not saying that you need to fast every single day, every single meal, but to think through. This is where I want to encourage you to write something down today. And I'm going to give you a minute to do it. So one, to identify one step forward that you can take in your life regarding prayer this month, starting today. We're all at different points in our relationship with God, but we can all take one step forward, one step deeper. So what's one step forward you can take in your life regarding prayer? And then, similarly, what is one step forward you can take in your life regarding fasting? So How might God be leading you to fast this week, this month? Maybe a meal or two or three? Maybe a day? Maybe more than one day? And again, this might be different for all of us, but what's one step forward we can take regarding fasting? So I want to give you just a couple of minutes to write down what comes to your mind. Like Before we scatter and go to different directions, Start on different things. And just between you and God, maybe write down, if you don't have anything to write down, just seriously consider, specifically consider what's one step forward you can take in your life regarding prayer and fasting. I want you to take just a couple of minutes to do that. And then I want to pray for us. As you are reflecting and writing. The last thing I want to encourage 
you to do, or maybe even challenge you to do, is to share whatever came to your mind or whatever you wrote down with someone else. Someone else in your family, someone else in your group, someone else who is follower of Jesus. This will provide encouragement to them. This will create accountability in a helpful way for you. Of somebody praying for you to take this step forward. And the process is will build community. This is what the church does. We thrive together in Jesus. So share that with somebody else. And we'll see what God does in the process. Pray with me. Oh God, even right now, the last thing I want to do before you is throw up some rote words just to close out a sermon. That's seriously contemplating who you are and leading us to pray right now in intimacy with you. God, we praise you for your love for us. We are so glad that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be restored to relationship with you. So God, I, I pray, as I pray for my own life, but I want to intercede right now for every single person listening that they would walk with you. And I pray Genesis 5:24 over them. May it be said, each of their names, they walked with God. For young kids to experience this, walking with you. For the oldest man or woman listening to this, they, they would walk with you in deeper ways, experiencing deeper intimacy than they've ever experienced before. God, I pray that for people who've been walking with you for decades, that, that these days and this year would be a year of thriving like they've never experienced before. Regardless of circumstances, God, we praise you for making thriving in relationship with you possible regardless of circumstances possible in a pandemic. So help us to experience it, we pray. I pray particularly this month that you would be honored, glorified in us as a church, seeking you through prayer and fasting, not just going through monotonous religious motion, but truly experiencing you, walking with you. And God, we pray that all of this would lead to our good, others' good, and ultimately your glory. We love you, God, and we praise you for the privilege of prayer and fasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul Ministries on podcast. You can easily play this week or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your vice in only a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries at your iTunes store now. The following program is called The God of Abraham. Hello everyone, my name is Terry from the God of Abraham. Today is the last session. By looking at Isaac's wedding and the process of a traditional Jewish wedding, we were able to see the relationship between Jesus and the church. We learned that it was important to read the Bible, which is Jesus' marriage contract, while we wait for him to return. Unfortunately, many church members in this age do not know about the future. Actually, it's not that they don't know, but they're not interested about the future. They are not interested about what happens after the wedding with Jesus. It seems like many church members in this age accept Jesus' proposal, thinking they'll first have the wedding and expect good things to come afterwards. However, we must not be wedded to Jesus with such emotions. As I mentioned before, 
Marriage is not done out of love, but to love. Jesus wanted to love us, so he gave up his life for us. Jesus is asking us for the same love. Jesus said, love with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28 to 33, Jesus gives a parable and says to count the cost and consider everything before deciding to follow him. Jesus says, don't do it thoughtlessly, but think about it well. Think about what we lose and what we gain. What must we lose to gain Jesus? Jesus wants us to think about these and count the cost, and if we think it's worth it, then we can make our decision. Our church members in this age must look deeply into the Bible. We can count the cost of what we gain and what we lose if we look into it deeply. A decision made after profoundly counting the cost will be a decision without regrets. We wouldn't have regrets and say, I chose this path not knowing this would happen. The past was better. We chose Jesus who is our true groom and until the day we unite with him, we wait for that day in hope, patience, endurance, and joy here on earth. As we look at Israel's wedding, we are able to think about each stage of our salvation one by one. It would be good for us to think again about Jesus who is the groom and read the Bible which is the promised marriage contract he gave us and set our hearts straight. Having completed Genesis chapter 24, we'll go on to chapter 25. Chapter 25 starts with Abraham taking another wife whose name was Keturah. I always had a hard time understanding this part. I think it would have been better if Abraham just lived alone. For some unknown reason, Abraham took another wife. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. So maybe that was the reason. When Sarah died, Abraham was 137 years old. Abraham died at the age of 175. Therefore, he lived 38 more years after losing his wife. It would have been a long time for him to live alone. Another reason is that in Genesis chapter 17 verse 4, God said Abraham will be the father of many nations. Until now, Abraham was the father of two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Then through Keturah, his other wife, he had six children named Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua, and 13 nations emerged from them. As God said, Abraham became a father of many nations. God's word is always fulfilled. In this way, many nations emerged. Genesis chapter 25 verse 5 says, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. It confirms that Isaac was the promised inheritor. However, Verse 6 says, he gave wealth to the sons of his concubines. At first glance, we may think that Abraham divided his wealth and gave some to Isaac and some to his concubine sons. However, the word for wealth used here is matanya and it means gift. Therefore, Abraham gave his concubine sons some gifts as a father. 
He didn't give twice as much to the eldest son and equally divided the rest for the others according to the way the Jews divided their inheritance. Isaac received all the inheritance, and the concubine sons received small gifts. Verse 6 says, After he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, he sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Therefore, Isaac received the land as an inheritance. The promised son Isaac received the inheritance. This is the symbol of the gospel. The inheritance of God's kingdom belongs to God's children, and this was gained through Christ. There is no other way to receive God's kingdom as an inheritance. In this way, Abraham's concubine sons were sent to the east and they became nations. Let's read Genesis chapter 25, verse 7 through 10, which is the final story of Abraham. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Abraham, the father of the faith, had died at the age of 175. He aged and got old and weak and died. In other words, he lived out his allotted span of life and was blessed with longevity. Abraham was called by God at the age of 75 and he lived 100 more years. For those 100 years, he walked with God. In a biblical sense, the number 100 means wholeness. It's a symbolic meaning that he lived a wholesome life. We saw the fulfillment of God's word from Genesis chapter 17, that Abraham would be the father of many nations. Genesis chapter 15 verse 15 also contains God's promise. It says, You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In this way, all of God's word was fulfilled. His promise will surely be fulfilled. Through Abraham, we must experience and remember this and engrave it in our heart and faith. When Abraham died, Isaac and Ishmael buried their father in the cave of Machpelah, which Abraham bought for a high cost from the Hittites when Sarah died. He peacefully returned to his ancestor. When the story of someone's death appears in the Bible, it seems as though that person's role is over or the time period of that person had ended. When we first started the story of Abraham, the story of the death of Abraham's father Terah appeared and it seemed like Abraham left Haran. However, if we do the calculation, that wasn't the case. Even after Abraham left Haran, his father Terah lived for a long time. Terah's role ended there, but based on time, that wasn't when he died. It's the same with Abraham. Since Genesis chapter 25 verse 8 recorded Abraham's death, we can easily think that the story afterwards happened after Abraham's death. However, 
that is not the case. Now, as we enter Isaac's story, the story of when Isaac was young appears. The Bible says Isaac married at the age of 40, and he was 60 years old when he had Esau and Jacob. As we know, the age difference between Abraham and Isaac is 100 years. If Abraham died at the age of 175, then Isaac was 75 years old. He had his sons at the age of 60, so Abraham the grandfather died when Esau and Jacob were 15 years old. This story appears later. The Bible records Abraham's death here to let us know that Abraham's role ends here. I really like this kind of portrayal because I believe we each have a role. We carry out the role and when our role ends, we end our lives here on earth. I hope we could be like this. Instead of dying at any time, I hope we could carry out our given role and complete it. During the past six months, we have seen how God's hand has molded Abraham. From the time he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans until the time he became the father of the faith. By looking at Abraham, we gained courage and hope and our faith has become more strengthened. We learn not to be in a hurry or be impatient. In God's perfect plan, it seemed like Abraham failed, but we realized that it wasn't a failure. God knows everything, and yet He called us. He is leading the journey of salvation. I desperately hope we could experience leaving ourselves entirely in God's hand. Instead of trying to do it on our own, we should pray and seek Him daily. Then, through that experience, our faith will become stronger. It's time to end the God of Abraham. Thank you for joining me in the journey through the book of Genesis as we followed God's hand in movement. I hope you will continue to walk with God. I pray that we will believe and be certain that God, who began a good work in us, will fulfill the work until the day of Christ Jesus and we will walk daily with Him. Thank you for joining me until now. Happy New Year!
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.